Well, Merry Christmas. Friends, we are in the middle of the Christmas season. Now, for all of you who have already taken down your Christmas tree, we are still in the Christmas season because, you see, the 12 days of Christmas start on Christmas and go all the way to Epiphany. So, Merry Christmas. And, friends, we're going to spend a couple more weeks, this week and next week, wandering with the wise men, looking at the wise men as a picture a picture of how we wander and how we walk. So just to reiterate some of the announcements that Josh made, next week we will finish our series on the wise men, and then the 14th we will start at the beginning of the Bible with beginnings, and that's when the readings will start. Okay, so just to be clear, next week, it's the 14th, the week after the readings will start. So you still have a couple of weeks to get your beginnings Bible, and that's going to be an exciting time. All right, let me read from Matthew 2. The story goes like this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or magi, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your words. We thank you for Matthew who wrote these words down. We thank you for the, the wise men and their obedience to your call in their life. God, you tell us that when we open your word that your word is active and alive. And we pray this morning that as we, as we read more of your words and as we dig into the text, that the text gets into us. And that it changes us. It changes our hearts so that we leave as different people than when we came in this place. God, we thank you for being here with us today. Amen. All right. The story of the wise men. Now, we've been wandering with these wise men. And in our story today, they finally arrive but they don't arrive at a stable or a barn or a cave or 
alongside of a shepherd, they arrive at a house. And it could be up to two years later. We don't know. We have very little details in this story. But what we do know is that these wise men, these outsiders, they came and they were obedient to God's call and they find themselves at a house meeting a child and they bow down and they worship him. Now this morning, I want to spend a few minutes thinking about what is our response when we meet Jesus. When we have an experience with Jesus, what gift do we bring? What is, what is our response? Well, there's some stories in the Bible that I find fascinating. There's a story where Jesus is in Capernaum with his disciples and Peter's mom is sick. And it says this, Matthew tells us, when Jesus arrived at Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. But when Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her. Then she got up and prepared a meal for him. Interesting, right? Peter's mom meet Jesus and he heals her and her first reaction is hospitality. The first reaction is to start to, 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 to bake bread. And now we think, when we think of making a meal, we think of being up on a counter. But I wonder if, if for Peter's mom, it was down here in the dirt, grabbing the flour and kneading the bread and putting the bread in the oven. There's also story, a story of a woman. Now our Bible says she was a sinner, but it could just mean that she was unclean according to the Jewish standards. And she entered into a place where Jesus was having dinner. And it says this, as she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Hmm. And Jesus would say to her, it's because of your faith that I forgive you. You're clean. There's another story of a man named Saul who we are familiar with, Paul. But Saul had spent his time persecuting these believers, these new Jesus followers, and he's on his way to Damascus. He says, says this, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground. And he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Jesus says, it's me that you persecute. And something changed In Saul, something changed in that woman who put the oil on Jesus' feet. Something changed in Peter's mom. And they all reacted. What is our response to an encounter with Jesus? 
So we spent the last four weeks walking with the wise men, and we've used them as a picture. The first week we talked about, here's these outsiders, these pagan priests who have been invited into God's story. And God used something that they would know, these astrologers. God would use a star as the invitation to say, come and join me in what I am doing in the world. But I want to show you something, another picture. I want to give you some historical contextual information that I think helps this picture as we try to apply this picture to ourselves and our lives and what God is calling us to do. Let me show you this. History does not tell us that there was a star that shone bright. But history does tell us a few other things. Now, just go with me here. Once again, we don't know these things. The Bible doesn't tell us these details. And in order to look at it through this lens, you have to think through the lens of two different things. One is that Jesus, scholars believe Jesus was born in 6 B.C. Now that's confusing and it doesn't make much sense and we don't have time to dive into that today. But just trust me. 6 B.C. The other thing is that in the ancient world, when, when in the ancient writings, the authors thought about lights in the sky and they thought stars and planets and they interchanged them. They were all the same in the writings. So it's fascinating to me that around 6 BC, there were some things, celestial events that were unexpected. Check this out. Jupiter and Saturn aligned three times in 7 BC. Jupiter appeared on the horizon before the sun in 7 BC. Jupiter and the moon appeared in the constellation Aries in 7 BC. Mars, Saturn, and Jupiter appeared in a comet Pisces, 6 BC. Comet appeared in constellation Capricornus, 5 BC. I wonder. I wonder if that star, if that celestial event was something these wise men had been looking for and that they thought all of these signs, all of these things have been pointing to a new king. I want to show you this. This is really cool. Jupiter and the moon appeared in constellation Aries. In the ancient world, Jupiter and the moon were a sign of royalty. And modern astrologers believe that ancient astrologers assigned places to constellations, and Aries was assigned to Israel, to Judea. So can you imagine? Here you have Jupiter rising in the constellation of Aries. And I wonder if these wise men were like, that is the sign. It's really interesting. In Petra, in the Arabian Peninsula, they found this. This is a zodiac, a star chart from about the time, 7 BC or so. At the top is the sign of Ares, the constellation. And if you can see very, right at the top, there's two dots next to it. I wonder if that's Jupiter and the moon. I don't know. We don't know these things. But now read this. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star or his planet when it rose and have come to worship 
him. It's interesting, isn't it? Now, I find this helpful because, friends, when God calls me into his story and when God says, I want you to be a part, you know what I want? I want a big old star that says, here's the way, here's the direction, no questions asked, just follow. But, friends, that's not how it usually happens, is it? It's usually a bit more confusing. You have to keep your eyes open for where God is at work in the world. But you know what's also cool about the wise men's story is God called them and he used their talents, he used their gifts and said, I'm going to invite you, this is your wheelhouse, into my story. And friends, I believe he will do the same thing for you. Whatever it is that you love to do, that's where God is going to call you into God's story. But you have to keep your eyes open. You have to start to notice things because, friends, the call isn't always so clear. But then God calls us. The second week, we walked with Joseph a bit and we thought about the path. The wise men had started on their journey and we said that God calls us on a journey, a path, and all of our paths are different. And some of our paths right now are so difficult. And God's promise to us is that God will give us the feet to walk the path that God is calling us to walk. And then the wise men arrive in Jerusalem and they meet King Herod. So the third week, we looked at King Herod and we started to look at the differences between King Herod, the king, and then the new king that was born in the manger. But friends, our tendency is to be just like King Herod, isn't it? Where you are on a path and you're walking, and the minute the path gets tough, you try to take control. And you want it your way. And you want to protect yourself. And you will do it at all costs. And friends, that's what King Herod did. So then last week, we looked at the shepherds. And the amazing message that the angel gave to Mary, to Joseph, to the shepherds, do not be afraid, for the light has come. The light has come, so do not be afraid. But the angel seems to be missing from the wise men's story. But is it? Now here's another thing that I will just lay down. You're welcome to pick it up. And we don't know if this is true. But some scholars believe that that star that the wise men followed to Bethlehem may have been an angel. Can you imagine? They just left King Herod. And King Herod says to them, hey, you go find that baby and come back to me. Can you imagine coming back to King Herod saying, we just found the baby that's going to take your throne. I wonder if they were afraid. And all of a sudden this light appears to the wise men. What's fascinating is in the Bible, the word angel and stars get interchanged. Let me show you. This is from Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Well, the morning stars is what the translation says, but it's referring to the angels. When the morning angels sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. 
Do you remember what the angel said? Do not be afraid. I will bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Hmm. I don't know. But it's kind of fun to think about, isn't it? What if that was the same message that the angels had given to Mary, Joseph, Zechariah, the shepherds, and now the wise men. And the wise men show up to a house and we find them in the story. Something changed inside of them. And they worship. And they bow down to worship. Now this morning I want to show you a picture In our Bibles, there's three words for praise, for worship. The first one is hallel. It means to shine forth. And you recognize this word, right? It's where we get our word hallelujah. And that makes sense, right? We worship. We reflect the light. It shines out. That's one of the ways. The second way is this. The Bible uses the word yada. Now the word yad in Hebrew is the word for hand. And yada means to point out. Now some of you may have been watching a football game last night. You're a little bit disappointed this morning. But you saw this at the football game, right? Yes! Go! We got this! Touchdown! That's yada. To point out. The third way is the word Baruch. Baruch atah Adonai. Eloheinu melok aolam. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. And this means to bend the knee. Now this is a little bit more confusing. I'm going to have Meredith come on up. She knew I was going to call her up, so... No surprise. Okay. If we stand next to each other, who's taller? (laughs) Right? I am. But look at the picture. Are you ready? If I bend my knee now, who's taller? Who's bigger? I make myself smaller in order to make Meredith bigger. That's good. Thanks. That's the idea. When we bend the knee, we make ourselves small. And what we worship becomes big. But friends, this is countercultural because we like big here. We like success. We like wealth. We like beauty. Our culture screams this. Let me show you. Does anybody know what this is? Do we have any Swifties in the audience? Right? This is Taylor Swift's tour, the heiress tour. Do you know how many trucks it takes to move 
her concert from one city to another, 90 trucks. And she sings for about three hours. Like, I think it's like 40 songs. It's, it's huge. And we look at this and we say, wow. Now, if we go to the other half of the Swifty equation, right? We have Travis Kelsey, right? And we do the same thing with sports. Many of you will be watching football games tomorrow, today. And we're impressed by this, by stadiums. We fill these stadiums. It's huge. It's big. And this is what we're drawn to. In Las Vegas, this theater venue, this concert venue just opened. It's called The Sphere. It's the largest LED screen in the world. And so they can project anything they want on the inside and on the outside. And friends, this has been sold out every single concert from when it opened. We're attracted to this. And this is my favorite, one of my favorite places to eat of all time, right? McDonald's. Do you remember when you could just supersize? Your order, all you had to say was, supersize it. And your medium fries would become large and your drink would become massive, right? This is our culture, but it's not much different than the ancient culture. Let me show you. This is the temple in Jerusalem. This is where Jesus would have come as a child. It was built by King Herod or at least expanded by King Herod. And it was the largest religious center in the world at its time. Because King Herod knew, just like we did, that big means successful. And you want someone to remember you? You want your legacy to continue? You've got to do something big and amazing. Check this out. This is the palace that Herod built on the side of a mountain. Unbelievable how he got the building materials out here. This is the city, Caesarea, that Herod built on the coast where there, he put a harbor in where there was no harbor. He built cement walls out into the ocean. It's huge. It's big. Because you see, Herod knew that if he made himself big, he would make everyone else small. But friends, let me tell you the good news of Christmas is that our God knew that he had to make himself small in order to make us big. Let me read to you from Philippians. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
and being found in human form, he humbled, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus was a knee bender. And Jesus made himself small so that you would be big. And it's fascinating. King Herod, King Herod would take lives in order to protect his own. But you know what? Jesus, that baby in the manger, would give his life so that you could live forever in eternity. This is a story from John. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. You see, that baby in a manger would grow up, and that baby would be a a knee bender. And Jesus would say to his disciples, his friends, he would say, here's the deal, be like me, show the world what I am like. But how do you do that, friends? We bend the knee. Baruch, blessed are you. So friends, this morning maybe you haven't met Jesus yet. And Jesus says, friends, here I am. And maybe you have to bend the knee to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be like you. But friends, maybe you've known Jesus for a long time. And I ask you this question once again. What is your response to knowing the king of the universe? The wise men brought gifts, but not only gifts, but they bent the knee. And Jesus says, I bend the knee. I have come not to be served, but to serve. And you do the same.
So friends, in your world, who bends the knee to whom? In your marriages? In your family? With your friends? At school? On your sports teams? Who bends the knee to whom? Guys, you didn't know that that's what you were communicating, did you, when you proposed to your wives? Right? This is the position. And what you were saying was, I bend the knee to you. I become smaller so that you become bigger. Let me show you one more cool thing. Did you know the Hebrew word for worship is avodah? Did you know Hebrew word for work is avodah? It's the same thing. Your worship is your work and your work is your worship. So at work, who bends the knee to whom? In your families, your friend groups. God asked Mary to be a knee bender. God asked Joseph to be a knee bender. God asked the shepherds to bend the knee. God asked the wise men to bend the knee. And God invites us to not only bend the knee to Jesus, but to bend the knee to each other. You want to change the world? This is the posture. I thought it appropriate. I want to show you this picture. This is the nativity scene at the Christmas Lutheran Church in Bethlehem. Friends, these are our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're in the middle of a war zone. And their nativity scene this year is Jesus among the rubble. I often wondered if Jesus would have come today as a baby, where would he have come? I wonder if it would be right there. You see, Jesus could have come in a golden chariot, flying across the sky saying, here I am. But that's not how it happened. Jesus finds himself among the lowly, among the oppressed, among the ones crying out. That's what it looks like to be a knee bender. And I want to share with you the words from the pastor of the Christmas Lutheran Church in Bethlehem. He says this, 
The irony for us Palestinian Christians is that evangelicals, with their overemphasis on prophecy, have lost the capacity of being prophetic. You want to prove the Bible is right, you don't do this by pointing to self-fulfilling prophecy or by pointing to world events as prophecy fulfillment. This is not how you prove the Bible is right. We prove the Bible is right by radical obedience to the teachings of Jesus, by proving that Jesus' teachings actually work and that they can make the world a better place. And then he says this, let us love our enemies, bend the knee. Let us forgive those who sin against us, bend the knee. Let us feed the poor, bend the knee. Let's care for the oppressed, bend the knee. Let's walk the extra mile, bend the knee. Be inclusive, not exclusive, bend the knee. Turn the other cheek, bend the knee. And maybe, and only maybe then, the world will start to take us seriously and believing in our Bible. Amazing. So friends, it's the last day of the year, right? And some of you have been thinking about resolutions. Well, here's my challenge to you. What if, what if this year we made resolutions that weren't about us? Right? How much weight am I going to lose? How, what I'm going to do? How I'm going to exercise? All that stuff. What if we made a resolution this year that was about someone else? What if the resolutions we made this year were, hey, we are going to bend the knee to each other, to the people we come in contact with, to the people who walk through these doors? And in doing so, Show them what the king of the universe is like. Let's pray. Joy to the world, the whole world. The Lord has come. God, we thank you for sending your son to this world. Yes, to die for our sins, but also to show us how to live. So help us, give us the courage to be knee benders. It's countercultural. We know the world may look down on us or not celebrate with us, but give us the courage to bend the knee to those around us. Help us to love like Jesus, serve like Jesus, care for one another like Jesus, to shine the light to reflect the one true light who has come into a dark and weary world. We give you all the glory. Amen.